When I was uh, when, when I was in college, one of my roommates, his girlfriend, broke up with him, and his response to that was to go to his room and crank up the volume on the stereo and play "I Will Always Love You" by Whitney Houston over and over and over. Sammy Roddy would do something like that, just over and over and over again. He, he played that song more in 24 hours than, 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 than you heard that song, Why You Gotta Be So Rude, this, this past summer. It was just constantly, it became, he was forcing it to be stuck in all of our heads. He played it so much. Um, I had a song like that the other day. Apple gave everybody the, the U2, new U2 album, and I'm one of the people who's actually happy about that. Uh, and, and I've been listening to that song, California, by U2, over and over and over again. My nephew the other day looked at me and said, you've got that stuck in your head, don't you? I said, yeah, but I'm, I'm kind of glad I got it stuck in my head. I like that song. We get these songs stuck in our head. Some of them we like. Sometimes, you know, we get those songs, we don't know why they're there, and they're just stuck in our head, and, and, and we can't really stand them, but we're singing them anyway. What I want you to think about tonight, what I want to ask you tonight is, what song do you have stuck in your head? What song do you have stuck in your head? Uh, and, and what I mean by that is not something you've heard on the radio, but when it comes to your thoughts about who you are and what God thinks of you, what song do you have stuck in your head? What's the song you keep playing over and over and over again? Is it a song that's, that's filled with your past mistakes uh, your failures, your failings. Maybe it's the voice of a parent telling you that, that you're not good enough and, and you're never going to measure up, telling you to get your act together. Maybe all you hear is, I'm a failure. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not attractive enough. I'm not successful enough. I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough dad. Maybe it's a song that keeps playing over and over a loop of, regrets that you have, things you wish you had done and that you didn't do. Maybe there's a soundtrack of condemnation and shame over past sins or over ways you've been sinned against in your past. How much would you pay if somebody could erase that soundtrack? If somebody could get inside your head and you didn't have to listen to that over and over and over again? And what if they could not only erase it, but replace it with a soundtrack that said you're loved and you're welcomed and you're accepted, uh, you're forgiven, you're not a failure, you're treasured. What would you give if somebody could do that? Uh, I want us to, to think about that tonight. I want to suggest that all of us have soundtracks like that playing in our heads at times, and I want us to think about how we can get rid of those. So... Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses, but we're really going to focus on the, really on verse 2 here, but I want to read all of this for us. This is God's word. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this uh, text that you put, us, put before us tonight. Uh, I pray that you would uh, use it to encourage us uh, and to speak words of, of grace and peace to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's what I want to try to do tonight. What we want to try to do is to replace that soundtrack of, of condemnation and shame and failure, and you're not good enough, and replace it with grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you, if you were to imagine God talking to you, God looking into your life, looking at your day, how many of you do you think, how many of you hear God saying grace and peace to you? Uh, if there's one thing I want out of any worship service is to know that when people come in to the worship service, they're going to hear that message, uh, that we are offering grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we get to the place where we can hear those words, where those are the words that play over and over in that loop in our minds? We need to realize three things, and then we need to ask two questions. So that's what we're going to do. We need to realize three things, and then we need to ask two questions. What do we need to realize? Well, number one, we need to realize that there's an element of truth in that loop of condemnation that we hear playing in our minds. And I want to be careful with that because, again, what I want you to walk away from this is not condemnation, but grace and peace to you but before you can hear those words of grace and peace and really embrace those you've got to see that not only does God offer grace but that you actually need grace that grace is actually something you need from God and here's what I mean by this uh, G.K. Chesterton one time read an read a article in the paper or a letter from the editor in the paper he was asking people to write in and you could write an essay about what's wrong with the world, and they were going to take the essays that they liked, and they were going to publish those in the paper. And so he sat down to write, and he wrote in the letter, and it said, Dear Sirs, I am. Cordially, G.K. Chesterton. And that was his essay. What's wrong with the world? What do you think's wrong with the world? I am. I'm what's wrong with the world. Uh, later in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul will go so far as to say as, we are actually dead in our sins. That we're dead in our sins. Not hampered by our sins, not held back by our sins, 
but dead in our sins. The biblical view of reality is that not only is this world that we live in broken, we who live in it are actually broken as well. That brokenness extends to me. Now, that's not a very popular message, is it? It's not something you hear reinforced uh, in our pop culture, as it were, today. You don't hear that message a lot in in movies or in in music. You hear it occasionally, but, but not often. What our songs and, and, and our movies and our television shows, what the message tends to tell us is just be true to yourself. Just look down inside and, and find the real you and, and be true to that and, and follow your dream and do your best and everything's going to be okay. Uh, how many of you have ever seen the movie Turbo? Raise your hand. Okay, okay, we got a few. All right. There's a, I'm not making fun of the people who've watched it, but there's a reason most of you haven't watched this movie because it's a, it's a, it's a snail that races in the Indy 500, okay? Um, and it's a, it's a animated, it's an animated movie, and Snoop Dogg does one of the voices. So um, just to let you know, but in this movie, Turbo the snail has like the ability to go really fast. Obviously, it's how he gets in this race by some nitrous oxide deal. And on the last lap of the race, he runs out of this stuff, and he's stuck just before the finish line. And so he just kind of curls up in his, in his snail shell and says, well, I'm done. I can never make it to the end of the race. I'm not going to win. And his brother starts yelling at him at this point. And he says, it's, it's, it, it is in you. It's always been in you. My little brother never gives up. That's the best thing about you. Of course, he looks within himself, and he goes on to win the race. So this is kind of the message. Just look, just look in yourself, do your best, and it's going to be okay. Just be true to yourself. Uh, the Bible, on the one hand, does affirm that we're all made in God's image. So we're, we're, we're beautiful creatures in God's creation, the highest, the height of his creation, And we can accomplish and do great things as those made in his image. But at the same time, the Bible tells us that we're broken images, that there's something wrong with us. There's something selfish inside of us. There's something so broken that it only can be fixed by God's grace. And so before we can hear words of grace and peace, we've got to realize that we're so broken that we need words of grace and peace from God. Now, even though that's not a very popular message uh, to hear that I'm the problem, at some level, I think even though we don't like the message, it rings true to all of us. It rings true to all of us. Because many of us have spent our entire lives trying to fix ourselves, trying to make ourselves presentable to the people around us trying to do something so that we'll be worthy of love and admiration and acceptance, trying to do something so that we can hear those words, it's okay, you're okay, trying to, to hear those words from God saying, it's okay, we try to do something, try to fix ourselves enough so that we could hear those words. Uh, last Friday night, we made our kids watch uh, the movie Rocky for the first time, the, the, the original one, from the 1970s, and it's like, it's one of those movies, like, if you grew up in that era, I was born in 1971, you just kind of think you saw the movie, because it was sort of in the, 
in the culture and you've got da -da 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 -da. you've got that stuck in your head and you can see Rocky running up the steps. But it's really kind of a weird movie to go back. I'm not sure I've ever really watched it before after I sat down and watched it. I'm like, it's, it's very, very slow. Um, and it has a really weird ending. And I'm going to give the ending away, but the movie's from 1970-something, like, so it's your own fault if you, you know, if you hadn't seen it yet. I don't feel bad. Um, but so, so Rocky, he, he's picked the fight in this heavyweight fight against Apollo Creed, and he goes 15 rounds with him. They just kind of beat each other up for a while. And then the, the fight ends, and Rocky doesn't win, right? Do you, do you, does anybody remember this? Like, he doesn't win the fight. You're like, what just happened? I just watched this whole movie. He doesn't even win? And so he, he loses the fight. Um, Apollo Creed wins on decision, and that's the end of the movie. But he's very satisfied with this. And you're like, well, why is it such a big deal that he just made it 15 rounds? Why is that such a big deal? Well, the tip-off is earlier in the movie when his girlfriend, Adrian, is, is asking him, why are you even doing this? You're going to get killed out there. And Rocky says the reason he's doing it, he says, I've just got to prove that I'm not a bum. I've just got to prove that I'm not a bum. How many of us are busy trying to do that? Trying to prove that we're not a bum. We know there's something broken inside of us, but we desperately want to make it right ourselves. We want to prove that we're not a bum. Uh, it's, it's why some, some of you as students, why you spend so much time studying, so much time working hard. Some of us in our jobs overwork. Not just because we want to glorify God, but we're really, what's going on is we're trying to prove that we're not a bum, that we're okay. Uh, it's, it's why some of us are killing ourselves trying to be the perfect parent, and we're guilt-ridden because we know we're not, but we're trying to prove that we're not a bum. It's why some of us can't leave our work at the office. It's why some of us come to church even. We're trying to prove to other people and to God that religiously we're not bums, that we, after all, are okay. The Apostle Paul wrote, the book of Ephesians, he also wrote the book of Philippians. And in chapter 3 of Philippians, he gives a list of his religious achievements, all the things on his resume that proved he wasn't a bum. Uh, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day. He was uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, he was somebody who kept the commandments. He was someone who had been uh, kind of in our day, he would have been baptized in an infant and in the church from the day he was born and at the church every time the door was open. He was for the right things. He was against the right, wrong things, if you know what I mean. <coughs> he had proved, he had proven that he wasn't a bum. And yet, he came to the point that he realized that all of that doing was worthless that this resume that he was attempting to create, he actually even calls it dung uh, in Philippians chapter 3, that it was worthless, that the resume that he had been building to try to hear those words of grace and peace was actually standing in the way of him hearing those words of grace and peace. And so, number one, we need to realize two things. We need to realize, first of all, that there's an element of truth in that soundtrack that's running through our heads that there really is something wrong with us. But number two, we need to realize that we can't work hard enough 
to make it right. We can't work hard enough to make it right. In fact, our good works can actually blind us to the fact that we need grace. And they did for many years in the Apostle Paul's life. Number three, the third thing we need to realize is that rebelling against God won't bring us peace either. Because those are the two directions we tend to, get, to go. It's like, well, I'm just going to work real hard and everything's going to be okay and I'm going to receive affirmation. Or we just kind of say, well, the heck with that. I'm just going to do what I want to do. And that's going to bring me peace and happiness. And so we go in the opposite direction. Uh, some of you remember Jean LaRue preached here for a missions conference several years ago. Uh, he tells a story that when, that when he was growing up uh, on the, the Mississippi Gulf Coast, about 50 miles from New Orleans, he would see people come by every year on the way to Mardi Gras. And, the, you know, they were excited. They were, they were, they were happy. Um, they, were, they were full of energy. They had their feathers and their beads and, you know, their beer, and, and they were headed to Mardi Gras. They couldn't wait to get there. He said on the way back, you'd see them coming through town in their cars, and they were, they were tired, and they were wiped out, and they were hungry, and they were dirty, and they were smelly, and they were broke, and they were hungover, and none of them looked very happy anymore. The, 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 the far-off land of promise of New Orleans promised so much. The rebellion against God promised so much. And yet, what wasn't advertised was what it was like on the way back. What you had gotten yourself into and what the results of that would be. There was, a, there was a cost involved that nobody told you about. It looked attractive. You think, I'll just go for a little while and I won't stay long, but what happens in Vegas doesn't stay in Vegas. You, you bring it back with you. There's a cost involved. It doesn't bring peace at the end of the day. Now, some of you may be saying, well, look, I'm not, I'm not really going out to New Orleans. Uh, I'm not trying to get that crazy. Um, but maybe you're just trying to ignore God in a, in a more respectable way trying to follow your dreams, trying to make it, trying to, to get to the top, whatever getting to the top for you is, but yet still doing life without any real reference to God. It's still about you and your dreams and your making it. And when I make it, whatever making, making it for you looks like, then I'll be at peace. Then I'll hear those words of affirmation that, hey, it's okay, you're okay. Uh, Deion Sanders, some of you remember Primetime, uh, a former NFL player, uh, a few weeks ago was on this new show that Bear Grylls has on NBC. And if there ever is must-see TV, it's Deion Sanders and Bear Grylls on the same, on the same television show. Bear, Bear Grylls is this outdoor guy, and he takes people out into the, the wilderness, and he took Deion out, and he's teaching him to climb rocks, and he's, it, it's, it's amusing to watch. But they have this serious moment in, in there where Dion starts talking about his, his NFL career. And he was a, he was a, a, a NFL player. He is a, a major league baseball player as well. And he makes the comment that, that, that even though he achieved all these things, he was still empty. He had money. He had power. He had all the sex he wanted. And yet he was still empty. And and unsatisfied, so much so that, that one night he just drove his car uh, off a road trying to kill himself. 
Uh, I read other places where he said that the night he won the Super Bowl, instead of going out and partying, he just went up and went to bed because it didn't do anything for him. He said that same week he bought a $275,000 Lamborghini, and before he had driven it a mile, he realized this isn't what I'm looking for either. And so he was living this life that ignored God. And we can do that, can't we? That can be the way we rebel. Just trying to do our own thing, giving ourselves anything that our hearts desire, and it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring rest. Uh, read the book of Ecclesiastes. People have been trying that for a long, long time. And yet it doesn't bring peace. It doesn't bring rest. So what do we need to realize? We need to realize three things. We need to realize there is an element of truth in those voices of condemnation, that there really is something wrong with us. Uh, some of us get that, and we start working hard to make everything okay, trying to prove that we're not a bomb. Others of us go in the other direction and just say, well, I'm just not going to worry with it. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. But at the end of the day, neither of those paths, working hard, are rebelling, neither of those paths bring us any peace. So how do you change the soundtrack? How do you get peace? Well, this is where we have to ask two questions. We have to ask two questions. Here's the two questions. How did the guy writing this letter get peace? And how did the people he's writing the letter to get peace? How did the Apostle Paul come to know grace and peace? And how did the Ephesians come to know grace and peace? Now think about it. In Paul, you had a very religious person. You had somebody who's so called up in his own self-righteousness that he had no problem persecuting the, the early church. He was even an accessory to murder of early Christian believers. And then one day... This same guy, an accessory to murder, winds up writing a good chunk of the Bible. How does that happen? Uh, think about the Ephesians. Uh, Ephesus was a Roman colony. And if you were living in a Roman colony, there was a, a lot of expectation that you would simply worship the emperor of Rome. But that's who a lot of people worship. You just worship the emperor. And if you weren't worshiping the emperor, Ephesus was also the site of uh, the temple to the goddess Diana. And so the people in Ephesus who weren't worshiping the emperor, they were pagan worshipers of the goddess Diana. And so think about it now. The book of Ephesians is a book written from a formerly self-righteous religious Jew to people who were uh, either worshipers of the emperor or worshipers of the goddess Diana. And the message is saying, from this guy to these folks, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know, it's, I think it's hard for us, because we just kind of read these books, over. it's hard for us to realize how crazy that is. Okay, that, that would be kind of like if, if Bill Maher, the, the guy on HBO who hates Christians, or if Richard Dawkins, the atheist, if they were converted... And they started writing a letter of encouragement to New Age followers of Eckhart Tolle who had become Christians. And they were to say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we would all go, "What? wait, what? How did that happen? 
How did that happen? How did those people become Christians? If you got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 9. This is how Paul, and before he was Paul, he was known as Saul. So Saul, Paul, same guy. This is how he became a Christian. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, and that's basically any Christians, if he finds any Christians, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said to him, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized. What happened to Paul? What happened to Paul? God broke into his life is what happened to Paul. And Paul responded by publicly committing his life to the Lord Jesus in baptism. But make no mistake about it, God saved Paul. Paul didn't save Paul. Paul's good works didn't save Paul. Paul's bad works committed against the church didn't keep God from saving Paul. God just decided to do it. And he did it. Was it deserved? No. Was it earned? No. Was it merited? No. You might say it was demerited. That God saved Paul in spite of who he was and what he had done. It was grace. It was free. It was undeserved. And it brought Paul into a right relationship with God. It brought about peace 
God's grace brought about peace between God and Paul. He deserved condemnation, but instead he got grace and peace. And what about the Ephesians? Well, turn back to, to Ephesians chapter 1. And then scan down your, your page to verse 13, Ephesians 1.13. Verse 13, in him, it's in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Ephesians didn't have this dramatic experience like the Apostle Paul did. The Ephesians heard the gospel. They heard that Jesus had come to die for people who were not okay so that they would be okay. That Jesus had come to die for people who were not okay to bring them into a right relationship with God. And they heard that. They heard the message of the gospel and they turned from their worship of the Roman emperor, they turned from their pagan worship of the goddess Diana, and they embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. They believed, and they were saved. Here's Paul, and here's the Ephesians before they came to know Jesus Christ. They were, they were not okay. They were guilty. They were condemned. There was no peace between them and God. And nothing they had done, none of their religious activity could make up for that. None of that could make them okay. None of that could change the fact that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. But then they met Jesus. And they believed in Jesus. And they trusted in Jesus to forgive their sins. They were brought into a right relationship with God. They were now, as, as Paul likes to say in the book of Ephesians, they were now in Christ. They were connected to Jesus Christ by faith. And because they were connected to Jesus Christ by faith, they were going to get this flood of benefits that comes along with this as you read in the rest of these 14 verses that we read through but didn't really talk about much tonight. That because they were in Christ, that means that, that they were loved by God uh, that they had been chosen, that they now experience the adoption of sons and daughters, that they experience the forgiveness of their sins, that they experience redemption, that they experience the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit, that they experience the certainty of the sure inheritance of heaven. They got all of this because they believed the gospel and they were now connected to Jesus Christ by faith. And so here's the deal. I'm, I'm not okay you're not okay. None of us are okay. In fact, we're so not okay that the Bible says we're dead in our sins, that we're guilty, that we're separated from God, and we can't fix that. We can't fix that by working harder at it, by doing more. We can't change that fact, but God has done something about it. God has done something about it. He sent his son to die on the cross and says, if you believe in him, if you will trust in him, it'll be okay. I'll forgive your sins. I'll call you a saint even though you're a sinner. I'll adopt you. 
I'll forgive you. I'll give you an inheritance in heaven. I'll remove your condemnation and I'll speak words of grace and peace to you. That's the gospel. And that's the only soundtrack, soundtrack powerful enough to erase that loop of condemnation and failure and self-loathing that runs through so many of our heads over and over and over again. So how do you silence that soundtrack? Well, you have to hear the gospel. You've heard the gospel tonight. You have to believe the gospel. You have to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You have to leave your, your good works and leave your bad works and come to Jesus Christ and rest in him and he'll speak words of grace and peace to you. And then, you got to get that stuck in your head. That's the song you've got to get stuck in your head. You have to hear it over and over and over again. Wives, you have to speak the gospel to your husbands even when they don't deserve the gospel. We never deserve the gospel. Husbands, you have to speak the gospel to your wives when you're really just aggravated with them about something. Parents, you have to speak the gospel to your kids when you're mad at them because they've done something again that they know they shouldn't have done. You have to speak the gospel to them then. When we have the worship service, the morning worship service at Grace, we do um, prayer of confession and then assurance of forgiveness every week. We're trying to drill the gospel into our heads with that. I'm not okay, but it's okay because Jesus has died for my sins. When we gather and we sing songs to praise, sing, sing songs to praise God, we're trying to, to sing the gospel into our heads. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're tasting and seeing the gospel over and over and over again, and we're trying to get it stuck in our heads. When we proclaim it week after week, we're trying to get that song of the gospel stuck in our heads, grace and peace to you. I watched another boxing movie last week. It was the week of boxing movies, I guess. Uh, I, I watched the movie Hurricane. It's, it's a few years old. Um, it's about Reuben Carter, a guy named Reuben Carter. Uh, Reuben Carter was, a, and it's, it's based on a true story, loosely on a true story, was a, a welterweight boxer in the 1960s. Two men were gunned down one night, and he was arrested and charged with their murder. Now, in the movie, they make the case that he was innocent of this. Um, I've seen people say that the movie's not very accurate, and he actually wasn't innocent of this. But Denzel Washington played him in the movie, and you got to believe Denzel, right? So um, always, always go with Denzel, and it helps my illustration, too, so we're going to assume he is innocent. Um, he, he, he goes to jail for, for, for 20 years, and this is, this is really true. He goes to jail for 20 years, and eventually he gets out. Somebody, he's, he's, he's acquitted of these charges. But when he goes to jail, he's wearing a suit, and the prison guard looks at him and says, you've got to take that off, and you've got to put on these prison clothes. And he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to wear those clothes. And the guy's like, well, you've you got to wear the clothes. You're in prison. He said, I'm not going to wear those clothes because that's the uniform of a guilty man. I'm not going to wear the uniform of a guilty man. When we 
ourselves play that loop of condemnation and self-loathing loathing and regret and our past sins over and over and over again in our minds, it's like we're putting on the uniform of a guilty man. And if you're in Christ, you don't have to do that anymore. Because Jesus has come to give you his robes of righteousness, and that's what you get to wear now. And you don't have to listen to that old soundtrack playing in your heads anymore. You get to listen to the gospel, to Jesus saying to you, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would make this true in our experience that we would not hear that soundtrack of condemnation and guilt any longer, but that we would hear that we were loved and accepted and adopted and cherished and forgiven, that we would hear your words of grace and peace to us over and over and over again. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.